Hey, everybody. This is the Steg Drew Show, and I'm your host, Drew Stegmeyer. This show is new, evolving, and finding itself. We don't yet know what it will turn out to be, and that's exciting. I believe the world has a current civility deficit, and with this endeavor, I'll be exploring tough and taboo topics with compassion and civility so you can do the same with your friends, family, and coworkers. This episode was a first for a number of reasons. It is with a startup founder in the fashion industry, which also is the luxury goods and fitness industry. Mountain Chang has a company called Caretz, that's C-A-R-E-T-S, and they sell barefoot dress shoes. Yes, that's right, barefoot dress shoes. We talk about how his company came about, how he got into it, how he lives his life. He is quite the inspirational person. He's into a lot of different things. For example, in addition to running Caretz, he held a state weightlifting record for California. He also does professional singing lessons. And in a prior life, he was an accountant. In addition to that, he ran the LA Marathon completely barefoot. He completed it completely barefoot. That is absolutely nuts. And all of these things exist inside a single person. And apologies for the meowing in the background. That is my my dear beast and cat, Buttercup. This episode shows you what a single person can do. You can do many, many things. And I encourage you to go out and embrace your own curiosity and just try stuff because Mountain is the lived example of just that. Are you tired of reacting to imaginary bullets? Join us for an interactive workshop developing skills to begin your journey to freedom. Own your triggers. Claim your shift. Free yourself from reactivity and transform trigger bullets into bouquets. This compassionate connecting workshop can be found online at compassionateconnecting.com slash hashtag workshops. Since that might sound a little confusing, I'll repeat it. Compassionateconnecting.com slash hashtag workshops. Check the episode description as well for a link. Again, free yourself from reactivity. Check it out. Mountain, welcome. Hey, thanks, Drew. Glad to be here. Uh, so I want to start it off with, usually we do a little bio and introduction, but a particular thing from your bio stood out like a lot. Um, and for, for my listeners who maybe don't know, I've been wearing barefoot shoes for eight years now. Um, and you ran the LA marathon barefoot. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, to be technically accurate, I didn't run the whole thing. Uh, by mile 20, I hit the wall pretty hard and I had to walk those last six months. I did complete the LA marathon without any footwear. Okay. You ran 20 miles without shoes, like of any sort. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And as far as I understand, this is on asphalt right and or concrete it was unfortunately on asphalt i i was preparing for concrete sidewalks mm-hmm. and by race day you know i started off on the sidewalks but one of um racing officials or organizers said hey you can't run on the sidewalk because i was like uh-oh it's gonna be on rough asphalt for the rest of this marathon yeah yeah wow okay so still you know, even if you didn't quite make it running, you completed 26.2 miles without shoes. And let's say you ran 6.2 miles after doing 20, right, without mm-hmm. any shoes on at all. And um, 
I don't know about you, but I think that's, that's fucking amazing. <laughs> like, yeah, that's, it that's was, a uh, lot. <laughs> it, it was, it was, uh, it was pretty crazy. Um, I didn't train enough for that. Honestly, uh, what had happened with that race was I read born to run. I was looking for Vibram Fifinger on Amazon and very intelligently suggested this book. And so I, I read this book and I was so hyped up about running mm. and I thought of it as like reclaiming my evolutionary birthright as mm. a, a human, as like the hunter of the savannas, you know? Yeah. And I, I told my friend about this and uh, the way I imagined it was, you know, we would go 5k, 10k, half and a full marathon. Mm -hmm. But he just sends me like, hey, let's do this one. And it was the LA marathon six months from that okay. moment on. And I was like, what? Okay, let's do it. And, and at that point, I, I was, I hadn't been running. Um, so we just went from like, being, I wouldn't say we're couch potatoes, you know, we, we, we exercise in other ways. Mm -hmm. But we, we went from not running to doing a full marathon in six months. Mm -hmm. And uh, I would say that, you know, in the end, it wasn't the barefoot part that was challenging. Um, mm -hmm. I, my, my feet were fine. I, I could actually send you some pictures of my feet from the end of the race. I mean, mm -hmm. obviously, they're very dirty, but they're, they're intact, that they're totally yeah. yep. fine. Yeah. But it was it was everything else about it's a freaking marathon, you know, so I think mm -hmm. I lost like 10 pounds of water weight throughout that race. And then, um, you know, it was it was hard to to walk afterwards. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah, it's, it's just very intense. Yeah. I mean, regardless of what you're wearing, it, that's that's a long distance. And as far as I understand the event, uh, the first guy who did it, it killed him right uh, like the like the story of the greeks oh yeah uh, so i mean yeah like if if you just think about that that that's pretty intense like the, the first person who did it died as a result right uh, <laughs> yeah, now yeah. people do these things for fun and to raise money for cancer it's like this killed the first person the first one died um, so yeah the most i've done is a half marathon so i mean i commend you that that was wearing shoes not barefoot shoes either um, and I think I would, I would say for myself, like before I got into the whole barefoot shoe movement, if you told me you did a marathon barefoot, I would not believe you. I, I would honestly like tell you you were full of shit or something. I, I, would, <laughs> I, I wouldn't. Right. Um, yeah, yeah. so yeah, I, I wanted to kind of start with that as they're like, Hey, let's just get this out of the way of like, this is a huge outlier. And, um, I guess as far as the, the barefoot shoe movement goes, just based on my understanding, um, if your form is not good, you get a lot of feedback, maybe not so gentle feedback about that quickly. Would you say that's right or maybe not? Yeah, for sure. For sure. So I, I typically talk about the benefits of barefoot from two buckets, and uh -huh. that is structural and sensory. And what you were talking about just right there is the sensory mm -hmm. part. So running barefoot, uh, a huge advantage of it is that it's like uh, having a really strict running coach who's constantly with you. So when you run mm -hmm. without shoes, yeah. you get so much feedback on your form that you can't really push yourself to the point where you hurt yourself because it's like your body will tell you, hey, you got to fix this. You're not doing it right. And you just got to. Or else, yeah. or else it'll, it'll be too painful. Yeah. So 
for, for those who hear the story and think, Oh, I'm going to do that too. Um, like what were you doing before starting marathon training in terms of barefoot activities? I, you know, I, I do think that, um, being barefoot in the house mm -hmm. gave me a big head start like throughout my whole life mm -hmm. because I didn't, it, it wasn't quite as much of a change in the amount of time that I spent barefoot. Mm -hmm. So that was advantageous. And um, I ramped up the mileage in my training over time. So yeah, start slow, mm -hmm. uh, pay attention. Yeah. Was, was that your question? Like how, how to, how to get started? Yeah. Well, and also like, were you, uh, whatever your other activity was, I know you mentioned couch potato, but were you working out barefoot or would you go on one mile runs barefoot? And then this marathon was a huge jump. Um, like I'm just trying to maybe, mm, okay. Okay. Yeah. Get uh, that understanding I, for people who might start. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I, I had like a brief, like eighth grade, I ran cross country, okay, and then uh, throughout college, oh, there, there, there was a. I went to University of California, San Diego, and there was a campus loop. I think four miles, mm -hmm. which takes you around all of the campus. So I would run that maybe a week while I was mm -hmm. there. Uh, after college, I was mostly doing martial arts. I would stop by the open gym and spar with people. Uh, so yeah. That was right before doing running. I, I was doing martial arts, which yeah, it, it doesn't really carry over too much running, I would say. Mm. But martial arts is a shoeless sport, right? Yes, yes. Okay. True that. True that. Okay. Okay, cool. So yeah, I mean, I guess what I'm getting at is like, hey, it's possible to go from maybe not running, but maybe having a, a baseline level of fitness to doing a barefoot marathon in half of a year, right? Um, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you know, sure. we have a case study. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I, I find that incredibly empowering to hear. And, and I, I thought that was a very cool part of your story. Uh, so aside from the marathon, um, and folks, I'm sure we'll, we'll hear this in the intro, but why don't you just tell us about how you got into what you're doing now or kind of background and bio. And that can be as vague or as short or as long as you like, because I have plenty of other questions to ask. Yeah, sure. So um, I, I was always I was always a amateur athlete uh, since I would say those those uh, middle school cross country days. Um, I felt like I always had to be training for something, mm -hmm. um, and and not not out of like obligation or like I'm worth if I'm not, but it's just I always had a physical pursuit as part of feel whole mm -hmm. as a person. Um, and uh, when I graduated from college, what I got most into was the pursuits. And for a while, it was martial arts. And um, doing running was largely inspired by getting LASIK. I couldn't get punched anymore uh, after getting LASIK. So I had to do something. Okay. Impact. Okay. Yeah. And when I got into the barefoot running, um, you know, it was actually, I, I, I got into a couple different things separately. So it was intermittent fasting, um, barbell training, doing compound lifts, uh, barefoot running, and organic whole food. And these four disparate ideas were suddenly tied together when I found out about paleo, which is looking at human health through this lens of evolution and 
you know, the type of environment that we evolved in. Uh, not not as like a historical reenactment, but mm-hmm. more so as like a starting point. We can test hypotheses. And so just all of a sudden, like these four very different things made sense. You put it into ancestral evolution context. And I was just like, whoa, yeah. that is so cool. It, it all ties together. And of course, um, knowing all these things and looking at the way that I was living um as a, a staff accountant at that time it was like oh this is not a healthy lifestyle and a big part of that was the shoes you know like yep. I, I i could be barefoot the rest of the time but for those 40 hours when i have to be um in professional attire i was not in healthy shoes. and it was after doing this marathon that i was just like you know I, I, I know that these things are bad for me and I really want to swim for it. Um, these things as dress shoes I had to wear. So one of the things that I did was I took a saw and I tried to shave off the heel of those dress shoes in order to make it really flat. And it, it, it didn't really work because um, it, it kind of just made like a rocker kind of shoe. Mm, okay. And, and I, I just ruined them. And, you know, I, I looked online and the only thing that was available at the time was the Vivo Barefoot Rock. And what, what was the time so like uh, when you say at that 2010, time? 2010. 2010. Okay, cool. Uh, and I, I just found so many things lacking about it. So that's when I decided, or I just thought to myself like, huh, I wonder if I can make a better shoe than this. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I just started writing down some ideas and, and I was like, yeah, I think I could design a better shoe than this. And I, I went for it. Okay. Yeah. So, I mean, I'd love to, I'd love to go deeper. Um, like specifically what was the, let's say the first one in terms of, uh, I assume you made a prototype or, or maybe many prototypes for yourself. And then there's the, you know, stuff that gets sold to the public via your company. So like, what was the, the first one? Like, like, did you, did you go to home Depot or like, how did you make the first one? Oh, okay. So I, I didn't know how to make, uh, and, uh, okay. Okay. So, so let me tell you about how I went about finding the factory. How's that? Okay, sure. Cool, cool. So um, I I was really inspired by the four hour work week by Tim Ferriss. And one of the big things that I got from the book is like, hey, you don't need to, just because you want to make something doesn't mean build a factory. There's already existing factories you can contract with to help you with it. And I was like, oh, wow, that's really cool. Mm-hmm. But how do I find a factory? Mm-hmm. And then he's like, oh, hey, you know, you can actually hire these firms to help find a factory. And I was like, oh, cool. Everything's everything's taken care of. Mm. So I reach out to one of them. Uh, they're based in, um, uh, it's like a VA and professional services firm. And I tell them, okay, uh, I'm looking for a shoe factory, uh, preferably somebody that has some environmental certifications, preferably in the United States. So we have a uh, similar culture and um, timing and things like that. Uh, and you know, I, I gave them a list and said, go for it. And they said, okay, we will spend, what was it? We'll spend just 40 hours on this, 20 hours. We'll, we'll spend 20 hours on this and get back to you. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we'll get back to you in a week. And so one week turned into two, two weeks turned into a month, one month turned into two months. I was just like, what's going on? And so I said, Hey, just, just stop what you're doing and send me what you have. So I looked at their list and I started dialing and 
it, it was a mess. Like one of them said, Hey, sorry, we, we only make like the back half of the shoe. We don't make the whole shoe. And another one was like, Oh, we, we do like uh customized shoes where people scan their feet and we make it exactly to that. Mm -hmm. And I was like, okay, that's not what I'm looking for. And somebody else said like, Hey, I, I try to tell your agent or whoever it is that called that we're a shoe repair shop. We're not a shoe factory. And I was mm -hmm. just like, Whoa, man. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> So, uh, so what ended up happening was, um, I did some Googling myself. I think I searched for USA contract manufacturing footwear and I dialed a couple places. Um, the factory that I ended up working with, uh, I was able to reach somebody, um, an executive and he said, Hey, you know, we're going to be in Vegas. Sorry about that. You, That's you all right. That right. But yeah, it's, okay. it's, it's no, wor no worries. Life okay, is imperfect. Okay, cool. Yeah. <laughs> so um, where did we leave off? So the guy says he's going to be in Vegas. Oh, yeah, yeah. He, he said, hey, we're, we're going to be in Vegas in like a week. Mm -hmm. You want to meet us there? And I was like, yeah, sure. So I, I took some time off from work. Um, you know, I was a staff accountant at that time. And I went to meet them, uh, had them sign an NDA form first, of mm -hmm. course, before telling them uh, all the ideas that I had. And, uh, and yeah, it just started coming together from there. Um, so it started off with trying to hire a firm to find the factory and then Googling myself and then finding somebody who was, who believed in the dream. Okay. So I, I want to go deeper into almost all of that for a number of reasons. Um, and I'm, yeah. I'm trying to use you first, like as inspiration for myself, right? This is straight up selfish, but also... <laughs> Um, for other people who think, oh, I could never do that. Or they, they see you, right. And they're like, okay, they're scrolling through the bio and it's like, oh, mountain founder of corrects.com. Oh, they make dress shoes that are barefoot. Oh, this guy's probably a shoe designer. And it's like, well, yes, you, you are a shoe designer, but you were an accountant. Right. And yeah, yeah. as far as I know from the story so far, it's not like, oh, true. I was losing sleep for years over the lack of good shoes. It was such a tragedy. Um, so first, what made you go with this, this VA, like virtual assistant firm as your, at the outset, right? Because I probably would have gone to like Google first and then been like, oh, this is confusing. Let me hire someone. You went with them first, right? Like, had you worked with a virtual assistant or how did you know about virtual assistants? Was it the four hour work week? Yeah, it was because of the four hour work week and I had not worked with a virtual assistant before. Mm -hmm. Um, I saw it as a learning opportunity and mm -hmm. I figured, you know, I've never I've never done any international thing before. Yeah. So I figured let, let's work with an expert on this one. Okay. And then I guess there was the one week that turned into two months. Did they yeah. bill you only for twenty hours or was it like, hey, we've done twenty hours and still nothing and then just keep ratcheting up the money? No, no, they, 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 they never went over the allocation. They just and I think in the deliver. end, they, yeah, I, I think in the end they refunded some hours, but mm -hmm. after that, I was just like, I, I don't. yeah. Okay. And yeah. so then you, you go on your own search and that was what a week from starting to Vegas roughly. Probably a week. Yeah. It didn't take too long. Okay. And then the people you met there, are they your current like manufacturing partner no no um that was a u.s firm before mm -hmm. we were based in wisconsin and we stopped working with them in 20 okay but they they made the first edition right or the first run if you will yeah they made the first 
three versions of the show. Okay. And after you met them, like what, uh, what transpired or like how much time was it before you, you know, you got your hands on the first one? Yeah, good question. So I met them in the summer of 2010 and I got something in my hand by the end of the day. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, it, it, it was like a very early first draft. Um, I didn't, so, so one of the things that's Terry about our shoe mm -hmm. is that we have this, uh, this hollow heel outsole. Mm -hmm. and, so and for so, folks who are not on video, just have audio, how would you describe that? Or I could describe it too. Yeah. Yeah. Go for it. So yeah, since you guys aren't looking at a picture, hollow heel, if you wear a dress shoe, uh, for men, it is a heeled shoe, right? An extreme version would be a cowboy boot that goes into a stirrup. But if you're not familiar with the whole barefoot movement, a raised heel strengthens your Achilles tendon. And so the hollow heel on the outside looks like a raised heel, but it is hollowed out. So your heel is not actually raised up. And, and that's the, the secret sauce or part of the, the secret sauce. So it looks dressy on the outside. And if you're seeing the video, like, guys, it looks like a dress shoe. It, it functions like a barefoot shoe. Um, so, yeah. There's the hollow heel, which I guess, as far as I understand, is different from everything else, right? Every other shoe that you would buy doesn't have a hollow heel, right? Or 99% or of them. Um, yeah. I don't yeah. know of we a single other dress shoe that has it. On, we have a design patent on the combination of the hollow heel mixy the cutouts to simulate the on the arch mm -hmm. um, as well as like kind of the, the tapering shape of it. So you get the, I'll call it uh, you know, first version early 2011. Uh, oh yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. So, so uh, I started talking about the, the outsole with the hollow heel because mm -hmm. the first time I saw that was uh, summer of 2011. So about a year later mm -hmm. from when we first started working with them. And uh, that's, yeah, th that, Getting the outsole is one of the very biggest steps. Um, the mold to make the outsole for each size is uh, it's like one one to three thousand dollars per size. This is an injection mold. Yeah, yeah, injection mold. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. I I understand. Um, so there's the molds, and then uh, during this time, are they sending you like? just uh single pairs back and forth and you're walking around town everywhere testing them out or what's what's going on during this time exactly yeah yeah okay so they, they they would send me something uh, i would test it out i would send instructions back they would make i test it mm -hmm. out uh, send instructions back and and are we talking like a couple days between weeks months or some combination uh it takes at least a month between samples yeah okay and then after some rounds of this it's summer 2011 what happens then summer 20 uh we get that actually it's it's more like fall early okay. fall around okay. september often i have the first fully finished prototype which has uh, the outsole and mm -hmm. i a crowdfunding campaign i do an mm -hmm. and um our target was 50 I had no idea what I was doing, so I just okay. put throughout 50. Mm -hmm. uh, and then we ended with 13, so we, we felt quite a bit short. But it this was is still 50 enough. pairs of shoes? Oh, $50,000. $50, okay. 
goal and then making thirteen thousand dollars okay goal um it was indiegogo so we still got the funding mm -hmm. and uh and even though we didn't hit 50 it was still enough for me to see that hey there's a opportunity here people mm -hmm. are willing to buy this mm -hmm. Yeah. So with that, um, with the completion of the crowdfunding campaign, I left my accounting job uh, a few months after mm -hmm. and then went full time and doing carrots. And so when did the crowdfunding campaign end? That ended uh, December 2012. And now that I think about it, no, no, mm -hmm. December 2011. December 2011. And then I left okay. my job in February 2012. Okay. Which in hindsight was premature because we didn't get inventory until may of 2013 yeah wait so you left your job february 2012 and then it was a year and three months before you got inventory is that right yeah so between that time mm -hmm. let's see a couple things happened um i i i, I bought a shoe to reference mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and i was like oh wow i'm getting so many ideas from the shoe so mm -hmm. that uh, I, I put some more, um, I had some more ideas that I put into development. Mm -hmm. uh, at another point, the factory said like, hey, your bigger shoes, they're too wide for our machines. Um, so we're going to have to make them a little bit narrower, but mm -hmm. we'll compensate it by adding more height to the toe box. Mm -hmm. But yeah, when, when they told me like, hey, uh, the bigger shoes are too wide for the machine. Oh, shoot. Does this mean like this project's done? We can't make it wide enough. Right, right. Yeah. And then uh and then when when we finally went into production, there were just there was a lot of issues. Um this factory uh you know, I like I said I was an accountant at the time. I, I didn't really understand shoes. Mm -hmm. And for me like dress shoes just means it's a black leather shoe. So I didn't really understand that there's like grades of dress shoes, you know. Mm -hmm. So what uh, this factory that I was working with, they're primarily a work boot and uniform shoe maker they manufacture in the u.s still because they have a lot of defense contracts or um they do a lot of like made in usa style work boots mm -hmm. um so they're not like a fine dress shoe maker and our project ended up being very challenging for them to do that very first batch that i got in may of 2013 i believe i sent back a third of the first shipment for quality reason okay and from then out uh working with that u.s shoe factory um i kept the fulfillment in-house the entire time i worked with them because i just could not trust the quality that they were sending to me mm -hmm. i had to personally inspect everything before i went out mm -hmm. um so yeah it, it was uh it, it took a while to get inventory a lot longer than i thought and then what were you doing from the time you left your accounting job? Like, were you living off of savings, couch surfing, or some combination? We still had money rolling in from just having the website up and um, accepting pre-order. Okay, got it. And was that enough to yeah. support you or like that plus savings was like kind of keeping you afloat? That plus savings, yeah. Okay. Um, man, <laughs> I'm, I'm smirking here because... Uh, and, you know... This is like a little personal, but like, I think it's funny and listeners will appreciate it. It's like, you emailed me about like worrying that you half-ass stuff. And I'm like counting the time. I'm like, okay, 2010, we're talking four years before you get inventory from, from reading the book, getting the idea four years, like 
<laughs> that's the opposite of half-assing anything, right? Because um, when I read the four-hour work week, I think other people might get this impression too of like, oh, okay, here's the deal. You just whip up some crap on the internet and print cash with your little cash printer and then you live on the beach and yay. And <laughs> it's like, no, <laughs> not, not at all. Um, so to, to backtrack in the story a little bit, um, you got an NDA when you met these people in Vegas. Did you write your own NDA? Did you hire a lawyer for that? How did that go down? I think I just found a template online and I switched around the words that I had to switch around and uh, okay. sent it over to them. Yeah, it, it wasn't too rough. Um, okay. Go going back to what you were saying about half-assing uh, and then, you know, relating it to taking like four years to get the inventory. Mm -hmm. uh, three years, three years mm -hmm. to get inventory. Um, I would say... I half-assed it because I could have gotten it sooner if I if I put my full ass into it, you know. Uh, okay. Um, I think if I, as soon as I quit that job, I got an apartment in Wisconsin, and I was just on that factory all the time, making sure they were getting my samples done correctly. Then maybe I could have had the production much sooner. Uh. Um, and yeah, instead of being subject to their whims i could have been looking for another factory backup just in case hmm. and yeah i uh since since late 2017 i've been working with a college buddy um and these are the types of things he has me think about like when when a factory tells me something he's just like you just kind of accept everything as is you know you you, you got to push back and like mm. look for solutions and uh and, and not push back as in like like dictate what to do but just mm -hmm. like ask questions see like hey is there something i could help out with you know right and yeah, uh yeah. i guess when you hear like this is the option maybe your college buddy interprets that as this is a option and there are 800 mm -hmm. more and here they are what do you think right <laughs> which is just like a whoa like a like a different worldview or like someone tells you the temperature and you're like i disagree like, what? <laughs> like, you're using Fahrenheit, I'm using Celsius, your number's wrong. <laughs> right? Yeah. Um, not accounting for wind chill and humidity. Yeah. Well, and I guess uh, maybe maybe we'll separate half-assedness a little, because uh, to give you some credit, like, dude, you're an accountant who came out with a shoe, right? Um, you're not supposed to know how to do that. There is no reason for it to go so smoothly the first time, and and now you know, and and maybe you have the scripts or the experience, but um, I, I just think that's uh, I, I love the story, right? It, it's such a compelling one, I would say. It's like man reads book, gets inspired, makes idea, develops this thing, goes through struggle, persists, and you're still doing it, right? I mean, Caretz is still around, still exists. We're now in 2021. This is 11 years after you read the book, right? You could, you could say mm. 10 years after contacting the first manufacturer, right? Um, mm -hmm. That's a solid decade. Um, and as far as I understand, this is your livelihood, right? This is what pays the bills. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that's cool as hell, man. <laughs> like maybe you're like, <laughs> okay, well, it's my life. But like, well, I think it's cool. Um, so thanks. thanks. I'm curious about this persistence thing, right? Or you could call it um, these moments, the dark night of the soul, 
right? And and I won't say S O L E because that that's that's too cheesy. But um, like, what caused you to keep going, or what caused you to not quit and be like, gosh, like I'm just gonna go back to accounting. This is hard, or this is annoying. Yeah. Well, I I would say um, I. Well, I didn't have that great of a career to go back to. So when when I when I left that accounting job, you know, I, I got into that accounting job right right as the recession hit. Mm-hmm. So um, I'll just throw some numbers out there. I started at forty five k with them mm-hmm. um, after two years, year and a half, two years. Uh, I was at like forty seven k. So it wasn't like a super well paying career that I was forfeiting. Mm-hmm. Um, although if I did stay in there and I kept getting promoted, mm-hmm. uh, I'm pretty sure my net worth would be bigger than what it is now, having taken mm-hmm. the entrepreneurial route. Um, but of course, like from this from this position, there is still a lot more upside potential as mm-hmm. a business owner, yep. as a you know career accountant. Um, so so one is like you know what else am I gonna do? That was one, of them. and two, hmm. You know, I I kind of had a story that I was a that I've been a quitter, mm-hmm. and I didn't want to keep being a quitter, and and, mm-hmm. and so you know part of that was like uh, uh, three times, um, you know, middle school. My mom had sent has started me off at like a like a nicer in, in like a nicer cities okay. um, middle school, mm-hmm. and then I was like, dude, like I, I don't want to. I don't want to sit in a car this much extra time just to go to mm-hmm. school. And the same thing happened with high school. Uh, my mom had me go to her nicer school. Mm-hmm. And then like a year later, I was just like, this isn't worth losing the sleep. Yeah. Um, I remember, I remember quitting band, uh, quitting football, quitting. What else did I quit? Uh, oh yeah. Yeah. Um, and e- even college, I, I went to a better school and then I feel like, I like downgraded a, a state school. So mm-hmm. yeah, looking back at my life, I just felt like there was a lot of quitting. And then here was something I was like, you know, I'm not going to quit this one. It's, there's a lot of potential here. And I am making a bigger impact than I would with an accounting career. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, I, I, I get these really, really kind messages from people about how their workday was previously filled with pain. And because of their shoes and now because mm-hmm. of our shoes they don't even think about it anymore so yeah that that's really motivating yeah wow yeah i think that's a great point i mean there, there's a couple things going on there um i'll call it the non-cash comp right the compensation you're getting knowing you're making a difference in the world and that's one of those things where i think um markets don't know how to value right like what's the value of an email saying oh mountain my feet don't hurt anymore thank you like is that worth a dollar a million (laughs) i don't know (laughs) right but it feels great it feels great Mm -hmm. and i think maybe Mm -hmm. saying oh each of those emails is worth seven dollars so if i get a thousand of those emails a month i will keep going (laughs) like (laughs) it just just seems messed up um (laughs) and the the quitting thing did anything I would say spur that on like of all the projects or things you decided to stop for some reason, this one bucked the trend, so to speak. And 
maybe that's chance or maybe you don't know, but I wanted to ask if it was like, Oh, I was watching Rocky one day and. Um, no, th- there was nothing in particular. Nothing. Okay. In particular. Yeah. yeah. Sorry. <laughs> no worries. Um, I suspect, right. I'm not sure, but once let's say the company is up and running, so to speak, or stabilizes, I don't know if that's the right word, but there's less pressure that it will fail, right? It's like, hey, we've sold shoes to a thousand people. Therefore, we're confident we can sell them to a thousand more people. Um, And when you're coming out with new shoes, having already made some, I, I think there's a both implicit and explicit, I'll call it confidence via competence, right? It's like, I know I can do more of this because I've been doing it, but I'm curious, um, you know, if that's true, right? That's, that's just my best guess or my take. Like once, what, was there a moment where you felt like we're good? Like w- maybe we're good as in we're not going to fail, which might be separate from I've made it, right? Uh, yeah, yeah. Oh my God. I, I'm so glad you asked this question because the answer is not what you expect. Okay. Uh, so um, I would say personally, the biggest misconception of entrepreneurism is that it gets easier. No, it only gets harder. <laughs> Even your voice changed. <laughs> I was like, no. <laughs> oh, Jesus. So like, in, in the beginning, you know, everything's like fresh and new and fun and nobody expects you to succeed, you know? Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, every, everybody expects you to, to, to fail um, and, and there, there's no pressure. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I would say I, I did have a, I, I did start with the benefit of youthful, naive optimism, you mm-hmm. know, like yep. reading the four hour work week and thinking it was literally that easy. Mm-hmm. I, I will say that, you know, in the end, um, you know, here's how hard I thought starting a business is. And here's how easy Tim Ferriss says it is. Mm-hmm. And the truth it is in the middle, but it's closer to how easy he said it is. But still nowhere near as easy as what he said is, you know? Yes. Yeah. So, so um, you know, I in the end, I didn't have to build a factory, but it was still a lot more work than just running ads and you know, yeah, having this yeah. machine. Yeah. Um, so, so it's, yeah. So, so in the beginning it was fun and easy and light. And now it's just like, now you have something to lose. Uh, now mm. you have people watching you. Uh, now you have competitors who are gunning for you, um, taking your ideas, you know? Uh, and yeah, the, the, there's, there's people, counting on you like um suppliers and contractors and people that were paying so yeah it's it's only gotten harder i would say but at the same time we've also gotten better at the business Mm -hmm. so i would say maybe new problems or different kinds of problems relative to the beginning Mm -hmm. okay um yeah i wanted to talk a little more about implementing the four hour work week for real and I have read the book as well, probably around the same time. It might've been 2013, 14, I read it. And um, yeah, my take on the book is that, um, and again, I don't fully remember it, but my understanding is that the genesis for the book was Tim Ferriss had a business and was 
working, I would say, an ungodly amount of time and was making great money and had this moment of, well, what's the point or who cares, right? If I can't spend any of it or if I, I have no freedom and then went on a vacation, was terrified that the business would get destroyed as a result of said vacation. And the opposite happened. During the vacation, the business got even better. And then this germinated the book. And I think that first bit about working eight hours a week for a long time before going on vacation gets massively overlooked. Just like, hey, maybe we should come out with a prequel called the 80-hour work week I lived for a while before I wrote the four-hour week. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, and as I, in like he needed to put in the 80 hours in order to create the four-hour lifestyle? Is that what you mean? Uh, yeah, I don't know that I would explicitly make that claim, but I think it's not given nearly enough attention. Like, mm. um, hey, you were able to power down, so to speak, and go into this four-hour-a-week mode because... yeah you built this massive business infrastructure, right? It's like, mm -hmm. oh, hey, I don't need an umbrella now because I have a house. It's like, but it took you three years of working in the rain to build your house. Yeah, like, yeah. I'm glad you're dry now, but what about all the time you spent in the rain? Oh, we don't mm -hmm. talk about that. I'm dry now. You should be <laughs> dry too. You should build a house. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and, and I think... Uh, where this is just humbling and inspiring for, for myself. And I think many other people is um, I've had many ideas and inventions and projects. And um, usually I just quit, right. Or I just don't care enough to see it to fruition. Right. And um, mm. it's making me rethink maybe how I approach that or um, also just face that reality of like, Hey, it could take a while and it could be difficult. And, um, just, you know, from, from our interactions and how much I've gotten to know you, I think it's really easy as an outsider to be like, well, you should have followed up more with the factories. You should have moved to Wisconsin and gotten that apartment. It's like, but I didn't know anything about shoes and I was an accountant, <laughs> you know, like it, it's so easy to armchair quarterback it. And, and maybe mm. now you would do that. Um, and I think anybody doing something so... I guess I'd call it interdisciplinary, right? Like innovation often comes from outsiders because someone is outside and sees something like, why are they all doing this that way? Don't they know they can just remove the heel from the shoe and stop hurting their feet all the time? <laughs> and the shoe manufacturers yeah. like remove the heel. Really? Yeah. Look at this guy. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, that is how it goes. Yeah. But at the same time, they have this massive know-how of factories and infrastructure Right. So if, if they just decided to knock the heel off, they could probably get one of those out the door in six months. Right. And sell a ton of them. Mm -hmm. But they didn't have the idea. And so I think there's this asymmetry of I'll call it creativity. Right. When you start a new thing, you have this creative spark or idea. And then there's this giant Mount Everest of operational and institutional knowledge. Mm -hmm. um, any take on crossing that gap for newbies or let's say if you're working on other projects, right? If you were to approach, um, I don't know, like Caretz 2.0 or just some random project, what would you do differently starting since you've started a project already? What would I do differently? Hmm. Well, um, I would have marketed more and earlier. Yeah, I would have marketed mm -hmm. more and earlier. Uh, 
I didn't really market our crowdfunding campaign too much. I think a big chunk of it came from just landing in Mark's Daily Apple on one of their weekend weekend link love uh, posts. Um, and I, 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 I thought to reach out to Mark because I, I was a Mark fan, but I didn't really, I, I didn't really do like research on who else I can reach out to and mm -hmm. um, promote this campaign, you know? Yeah. So there was that. And there were some interviews, just content that was created with some blogs. Uh, and I, I foolishly said like, hey, can you bank this until we have like more inventory or whatever event? And they would say, yeah, sure, we'll bank it. And by the time I asked like, hey, can you publish this now? They'd be like, oh, actually, like we don't do format of video anymore or uh, uh... or it, it, they would just take forever to like finally publish it. And uh, now it's just like it's strike while the iron's hot. Get get the first article out there. And when we do launch something like just publish another article saying like, hey, it's here now, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 That aligns so, with so what I I've guess, heard. Mm -hmm. So that, that's what I would do there. Did you have something more to add? I didn't want to cut you off. Um, let me think about it. Oh, uh, I was I was frugal in the beginning about about like buying competitors' products, and I, I'm not anymore because you just learn so much from seeing what other people are up to. So basically, yeah, yeah. you do. I, I guess you call it R and D or R and D. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, man, now I'm. I want to ask like. Uh, like, do you, do you have this massive dress shoe collection? Um, not that many dress shoes. Uh, so typically, when I when I start developing a new style, I'll I'll, I'll brainstorm together like a lot of different examples of that style. Like, let's say I mm -hmm. want to do a chukka, then I'll just yeah. find all the different chukka styles that all the dress shoes are making, all the barefoot brands are making, all the direct to direct to consumer startups. Uh, the ones that they're making and i just mm -hmm. kind of look at all the features and see like okay which ones are more common which ones are associated with other features um and how does this what does this feature evoke when i see it or when i'm handling it uh what do other people say about this feature and that's when i start to narrow down okay do we want to have like a like a flowy back strap or like a very straight back strap or something like that mm -hmm. and so in the end i would typically um keep one good example of like a dress shoe mm -hmm. and then maybe keep one good example of a barefoot shoe uh, as a reference. Mm -hmm. um, but that's after buying like a whole bunch of them to check out. So uh, yeah, I have a fair amount of dress shoe and barefoot shoes here. Yeah. Okay. Um, so yeah, I want to, I want to segue into something you mentioned, which was, this was before the show, but talking about, um, you know, starting a dress shoe company so you never have to wear dress shoes again, and then embracing your role as a shoe designer. Um, let's let's go down that road. Yeah, sure. So um, I remember my uh, ex. She would say that like, yeah, uh, Mountain's one of the few people who looks better without clothes than with clothes. And at first, I thought it was a compliment about my physique. But mm -hmm. it was also a veiled dig at my fashion sensibility. Okay. Yeah, yeah. And, and yeah. so later on, it became not so veiled. She's just like, yeah, you, you dress terribly. <laughs> <laughs> but when, when I, you know, uh, part of the origin story of this company was uh, 
one day on a casual Friday, I wore my Vibram Five Fingers, like the the toe shoes.、Mm-hmm. I wore them into the office on a casual Friday because I took that word very literally, like casual, right? Yeah. And so some coworkers saw me in those shoes, and they they thought I was just like barefoot in the office because they were kind of like the tan. Color,、mm-hmm. yeah. One of them like turned a corner and screamed when she saw me, and I was like, "Oh man, like that's not." She that's screamed. Not I want to. Yeah, she screamed. It's not like you weren't wearing <laughs> pants. <laughs> like, it's it's not like、I、you're、know. just swinging around like a pendulum. Like, <laughs> it, it's just weird. I just want to meet the woman who's afraid of bare feet. Like, <laughs> oh my god, his feet are out. He's showing us his feet. <laughs> like. <laughs> She screamed. <laughs> yeah, she screamed. <laughs> oh man, I don't hang out with a lot of accountants, but David,、uh, if bare feet make you scream, you need some more excitement in your life. <laughs> <laughs> so that had an impression on you for sure. Yeah, yeah. yeah.、Um, yeah. So I, you know, I, I thought very practically about clothing without really considering the social practicality. Yeah,、yep. and.、Um, And so when I started this company, and I didn't have to work in the office, and it's like, yes, like I don't need to do this like dog and pony show.、Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I would joke that I started a dress shoe company, never have to wear dress shoes again. And I think I was just wearing like cargo pants because those are the most practical pants. I mean,、mm-hmm. and、uh, I was wearing homemade、uh, sandals, homemade warachis,、um, just like a flat sole, and I. Tied some rope through it,、mm-hmm. and that that was like my my daily wear. And it wasn't until I wanted to meet Antonio Centeno. He was the resident style expert at Art of Manliness, and that's how I found out about his work. But now his work as its own body is much bigger than doing with Art of Manliness. So he he runs a blog, Real Men Real Style, and、uh, he put out a. Email saying like, "Hey, I'm going to be in Vegas.、Um, if anybody wants to come hang out," and I was like, "Oh, hey, you know, Vegas is really close. I want to、mm-hmm. meet this guy." And in preparation to meet him, I started consuming his work. I bought his ebook,、uh, "A Man's Guide to Style." It's a very comprehensive book、uh, talking about just all the different pieces that you find in menswear. Like, what's the difference between a suit jacket and a blazer and a sport coat? And what are the different materials that you can get them? And you can get them in linen, wool,、uh, polyester. And what are the different advantages of this and that? And he goes a lot into like the history, but、uh, which I totally nerd out about.、Um, I,、mm. I love history. But 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 the real meat of what he gave me was、um, was that hey, clothing makes your life easier if you're able to generate a favorable first impression with just your clothes before you even begin talking with them, like. That just makes your life easier, and、mm-hmm. that was when the light bulb, like mine, was like, "Oh, dude, okay, yeah, I'm all about making my life easier." <laughs> yeah, okay, yeah. Well, on that, I'm I'm curious because、uh, I would say we maybe share similar styles. Before you read this man's material, I, I might still have that style, maybe.、Um, <laughs> and so, I have noticed, uh, uh, yeah, and, and I'll just tell the story, frankly. So when I was in high school. The last semester of my senior year, I lost forty pounds. Okay, and around that time, people started being a lot nicer to me, but I didn't pick up on it. There was there was a delay, there was a lag, and I was like, "What's going on? Why are people nice?" And I was like, 
oh my God, they were discriminating against me because I was fat. Like the world is full of evil bastards and F all of you. Right. Um, (laughs) And at the same time that comes with this awareness of, Hey, look, we all have inherent human value and no one can ever take that from us. And you'll get better service if you dress well. The choice is now yours, right? <laughs> and it's like, huh. Um, you know, and I still dress mostly like a slum dog, right? But having that awareness, I think, lets me sometimes use it when I know I need it. Like, hey, you know, dressing better will make a difference here. I have this slovenly looking beard action going on. Like, okay, this, this gets cleaned up when I'm meeting someone that I think is really important, especially if it's an in-person meeting. Um, mm-hmm. and, and I think that just that little tidbit of clothing makes your life easier aligns with the whole four-hour work week life hacker ethos, right? Yeah. yeah. I'm like, look, set it and forget it, you know, get you some nice clothes, maybe make them tailored, good quality, stick with neutrals, right? If you're not really color-coordinated, neutrals will work for you and or monochromatic, right? And then you're good. You're, you're just good. Um, mm-hmm, that's mm-hmm. an oversimplification, but yeah. Um, and, and that, that is the extreme that I do take it to um, oversimplification of my wardrobe. So can I, can I get into this? Yeah. Hell yeah. So I, I pretty much have just like one pair of pants that I wear They're They're Uniqlo and they're, uh, they, they have like a dress cut to them but they're very stretchy material so they work casually formally and as sports so i I wear them those pants for everything and um yeah but pretty much everything in my closet is just copies of each other everything is black so i never have to worry about like spilling coffee on myself and um everything matches and pretty much the only two things I have to consider when I'm getting dressed is temperature and formality. And the formality, a lot of my pieces like will cover a mess. Really, it just comes down to temperature. Hmm. Okay. I'm taking some notes from this. So first question would be, you said you have to think about temperature and formality, and you've gotten to that mm-hmm. place because of this planning, right, that you've done. Um, mm-hmm. What would maybe be other... I don't know, I'll call it dimensions or aspects of fashion planning or like when someone asks the question, what should I wear today? What are the, maybe the, the standard dimensions? Cause I've never heard someone break it down in this way where you said temperature, formality, what might be some others that you've ruled out because they add stress or complexity that's unnecessary? Oh yeah. Um, colors to start with. Um, everything's black yeah everything Mm -hmm. matches uh what else um patterns i don't do any patterns it's Mm -hmm. all solid blacks um what else textures are largely out of the picture um everything is very uh smooth uh and not woven uh i i did have like black cardigans before Mm -hmm. um but that woven material it just pulls in like dog for whatever else gets trapped into it. Mm-hmm. Um, and woven materials tend to pill too. So I stay away from woven materials. Uh, I think every article of clothing I own has some element of stretch built into it, mm-hmm. uh, whether through the, the base material or with spandex woven in. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, 
Yeah, all of those things. And what does woven mean? Like, well, I'm I'm thinking, aren't all clothes woven? So, like, what what does woven mean? Oh, um, sorry, not woven. Uh, knit, m- more like knit. Something that's uh with a more open, stretchy knit is just like it, it doesn't like things don't really get caught in it. So like, like a uh, like a got, sheet like, would have a sweater. higher thread count, basically. Higher thread count would mean. Like more density per Either. square inch. Yeah, 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 yeah. More density. I'm looking for a higher density okay. fabrics. Okay. Mm-hmm. Basically, so cat hair and stuff doesn't get stuck in them. Okay. Yeah, exactly. Um, do you have anything that you categorically say no to? I mean, obviously going with all black, but um, uh, for example, I have uh, my male birth control Crocs shoes, right? For a lot of people, <laughs> it's like, yeah, they're called male birth control for a reason, right? Are there things that are categorically no's? Um, I, I don't, I don't do cute, so okay, no bow ties, no animals, things like that. No nerdy glasses. Yeah. Okay. I would hope you wouldn't wear glasses with lacing. <laughs> that that would <laughs> that would be bad. Well, I mean, yeah, a, a lot of a lot of guys though. And, and girls, um, mm-hmm. they'll accessorize with, with glasses without needing the... I didn't know. Um, <laughs> that oh, that, okay. that yeah, yeah. explains my, my ignorance. Actually, that's, that's not totally true. I had a friend from college, Phil, and uh, Cadet Staff Sergeant Coralde. Yeah, he had a pair of glasses without the glass. Uh, they were oh. a stylistic element. And um, yeah, so I do have an example in my life of like, oh, wait, I know a person who accessorized with glasses um mm. oh that's the other thing i uh i don't do jewelry okay um the last time i attempted it was a knockoff fitbit uh and even then i i didn't feel like it provided me more value than having this clunky thing on my stuff all the time yes and before that i was wearing uh oh i could show you real quick and i'll narrate for folks who are not on video just so they can get somewhat of a better idea and while he's getting that, if you're not on video, you guys need to check out the background. Um, there is a piece of martial arts equipment, floor to ceiling. There is a fitness thing called a so right PSO, like for your psoas. I see a back buddy back there. I psychoanalyze people by staring at their living space. And yeah. um, uh, I, I like it, right? Because it, it, it makes me see you, right? Like it makes me see mm-hmm. you and understand you. Um, yeah. Feel free to present the the item. Haha. Okay. So it's a it's a spork from the Columbia River Knife and Tool Company, and I would wear it on a paracord, of course, necklace. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. People would ask like, "Ooh, tribal talisman, huh?" And I was like, "No, actually, it's it's an eaten tool." Yeah. And um, yeah, I, I I did that for a while, and then I don't know. I, eventually, I think I I think I just thought like, okay, it's, it's kind of weird. And so mm-hmm. I stopped doing it, but I, I keep it in my bag on me all the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a good point when you said it's kind of weird because a fashion rule I've heard and frankly don't follow is that with your appearance, whatever your appearance is, it should look like it's on purpose. Right. And the, mm-hmm. the ultimate faux pas is like leaving the restroom with TP on your foot. Right. That's <laughs> like, Oh, sir. Uh, kind of got a, a thing there, sir. Um, so yeah, whatever your look is, it should look like you're trying to look that way, right? Mm-hmm. I, I think, you know, maybe the worst thing you can get is, hey, this person is confused. 
or um, when you get into issues of hygiene, right? Mm -hmm. Hygiene Mm -hmm. often relates just to health, which often relates to attractiveness for sure. You know, with maybe the ultimate form of that being like, uh, I mean, you could, you could say with, with the pandemic now, right. It's like we determine people aren't healthy and we dissociate from them. Um, Mm -hmm. so if your appearance gives other people a sense of that, um, it definitely doesn't fall into the making your life easier bucket, right? Like your, your life can get a lot harder. Um, so is there anything else you wanted to touch on in terms of the, the journey to becoming a shoe designer? Um, And I have, I have more questions. So, um, if, if not, that's cool. I can, I can pepper you with them. Um, yeah, it, it was just about, you know, read Antonio Centeno's realizing that there's a history to everything. Um, and also that clothing can serve as a, 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 as a shortcut, I, I guess, um, or expediter. Mm-hmm. Um, and then from there, I just, I decided to embrace shoe designer and I took the role a lot more seriously. And uh, I, I give a lot of that credit also to my business partner, Darius, um, who, who just had, he had, uh, faith in me as far as designing outside of men's dress shoes. You know, I, I came up with some cool ideas for men's dress shoes, like the hollow heel and the paper toe box. And, you know, having not had the formal training, I did kind of wonder, like, huh, am I just like a one-trick pony or can I actually do right. more than once, you know? Right. And uh, women had been asking for dress shoes a long time since the inception of the company. And I was just like, I, I don't do, like, there's you know, there's already like flats out there mm-hmm. and it's not like I could simulate like a stiletto heel. You know, I can't hollow that out and let your foot sit inside that. So <laughs> right. I, I don't, I'm, I'm out of ideas here. Like mm-hmm. maybe, okay, maybe we can like uh, put tiny projectors around a, around a ankle cuff that will project the image of a, of a heel. Right. Or right. So, so I, I was, I was kind of at a loss of ideas, but then Darius was like, dude, look at, look at our Google analytics. 30% of our traffic is women. Come up with something, man. I know you can do it. Yeah. And so I was like, okay, yeah. okay. All right. All right. So, um, so I, I, I did take it more seriously and I was looking at like what's out there and I thought about like, oh, okay. Yeah, actually there, there are a lot of things I can improve on. Mm-hmm. So um, yeah, I, I think in the end, uh, having somebody believing in me and that helped a lot to grow as a shoe mm-hmm. designer. So would you like to share like what are what are some of those things because when you initially thought oh there's nothing i can do that that makes perfect sense to me right if if one of your main innovations was you know removing the heel again well flats exist already and hey i can't make a fake stiletto so ergo i'm stuck what what were the other things you saw the other inroads where women's shoes were lacking so um one thing that i kind of slipped my mind was that women also wear oxfords so what we could do is bring that hollow heel concept to more feminine silhouette like a more mm. feminine something like that uh, here give me a sec sure uh the the, the men's style it, it it's so funny um so so for a men's dress shoe they want it to look long okay Maybe and some phallic imagery going on. Yeah, yeah. It's a, it's a phallic thing. And for women's dress shoes, they wanted to make your feet look short and cute. And so a lot of the design elements are made such length. Oh, and that's, that's interesting. 
Yeah. I, I didn't think of that, but, um, you know, there's those tropes of like man with big feet, ergo, like man with a big foot that there's a story around that. Right. Yeah. And then woman with big foot, right. Is usually ostracized or made fun of, right. Like, Mm -hmm. yeah. Mm -hmm. And the Chinese foot binding and there's tons of, I guess, design things you can do to basically work as optical illusions. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, with, with, uh, women's Oxford can bring a lot of the, uh, a lot of the same differentiators that we do with men and just bring, so account for how women's shoes have a different stylistic goal. And also women's shoes are on average anatomically different from men's as well. So what I learned is that um, women's feet tend to have a narrower heel and a wider um, ball and toe. Mm-hmm. Uh, so so there, there is more of a triangle, whereas men's are more like a, of like a box. So mm-hmm. they're here a bit wider and they're relatively. Okay. And th- that's one of the difference. And another one is women tend to have higher art than men mm-hmm. do. Um, so these things were also taken into designing our women. Uh, a, a lot of, a lot of companies, um, I think especially barefoot ones, they just sell the same exact slap on a different size. Okay. Label. Um, but our dress shoe, uh, our are deliberately designed with the anatomical considerations of women. And, that, that that's for the, the dress shoes and also we are doing something that's like a excuse the label that it look kind of funny but yeah this is like I a flat quite pump see it on the screen but okay a flat pump yeah and you know even though we don't have the hollow heel here what mm-hmm. we're really differentiating with is this toe box right like yep. it's both wide and sleek and that's just something that nobody else offers mm-hmm so there's lots of room. And this is another concept. Interesting. You know, I, I did a lot of research into these different types of straps. Uh-huh. And I learned that, you know, the ones that are just around the ankle, mm-hmm. those do nothing. They're just <laughs> form, not function. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, I, I guess it'll keep you from losing the shoe entirely. Right. So as far right. as like stabil- stabilizing it on your foot, it doesn't do anything. Mm-hmm. And and this design did start with like a like a arch, um, okay. an arch strap that goes around. Mm-hmm. And then I thought like, oh okay, um, what if I put a strap in the front? Right, that could create more stability, and also it creates like this elongating effect. So yeah, uh, yeah, that reminds me of those sandals that go between the toes and over the edge of the foot, um, mm-hmm. like a flip flop. But I would say obviously much 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 dressier looking. Right. Um, yeah, yeah. In terms of how the, the stability is created just by those, you know, that V or that fork. Um, mm-hmm. So, I mean, it makes me think like, and I don't know um, if you have a short pithy answer or if it's a long-winded messy answer, but I think in many, you could say fields of study, right? Like take any field of study, people often conclude that, oh, we've, we've done everything there is to do there right? Like shoes, like, oh, people have worn shoes forever. We've worn shoes since we had feet. Hmm, How long have we had feet? (laughs) Right. Um, Yet, you know, even your journey, right? You started out as a newcomer, now you're an incumbent, and now you're coming up with things that no one has come up with before. So I guess where I want to go with there is I would call it um, maybe your outside of work stuff. You're into a lot of what I would call like esoteric hobbies, 
Um, and I suspect they heavily influence your, your creativity. Does that sound like a fair analysis? Hmm. I, I would say so. Yeah. I, I, I like to mix different disciplines together and see what, what new things come out from it. Mm -hmm. Um, and so, you know, just to maybe list some of the hobbies, cause there's probably many that, that I don't know of. Um, this is, this is where I said like, Oh, like, man, like you don't half-ass anything. Like a lot of people will be like, Oh, I'm doing this barefoot thing. And Oh, I do some running. And you're like, oh, I did a barefoot marathon in six months. Oh, just casual. <laughs> it was a Tuesday. <laughs> um, <laughs> and, uh, like there's plenty of people that lift weights, but you know, you've done a powerlifting meet, right? You have a singing instructor, right? Um, and I think what maybe ties a, a lot of the, the aspects of the conversation so far together is, action right many of these things just are not hypothetical for you it's like hmm i want to get better at singing and then you get a singing instructor right or oh it'd be cool to lift weights i'm going to do a powerlifting weight meet right hmm barefoot running doing a marathon um because to me that's um a totally different vibe than like being a quitter right that's like a level of you could call it seriousness or, or passion to your hobbies right where does that come from mm -hmm. Ooh, curiosity comes mm -hmm. from curiosity. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, it, you know, um, some people could take. Some people have looked at my body of work and have said, like, "Oh, uh, I, I love how you're passionate. You're so passionate about things." Mm -hmm. And for, for for me, um, passionate doesn't really describe how I feel. Mm -hmm. It's it's more just the curiosity. Yeah. yeah. So with um. With the marathon, it was just like, I'm curious where this barefoot running thing can take me. And it took me to doing a marathon. Mm -hmm. uh, with powerlifting, that was, it started off as a curiosity. I was like, I wonder how much somebody, because I, 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 I'm a small guy. I was like, uh, I, I'm still in like the 120 range right now. Okay. Um, I, I've never seen like 140 on the scale. Mm -hmm. So I was curious, like what? Everybody else was bigger than me, and I was curious what is a good number for a guy my size to lift. And I was mm -hmm. looking it up, and when I saw the California records, I saw that my weight class was open. And I was like, "What does that mean?" And I, I I reached out to the records office, and they said like, "Oh, it just means nobody's competed in that in a number of years, so they just wipe the record open." Okay. And I was like, "Oh, okay, all right, cool." Yeah. So yeah. I was like, "Are you saying if I just show up and I don't get disqualified?" I, I win. And they're like, yeah, pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> so wait, do you have California state weightlifting records? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I held, <laughs> come on. I held, you've been withholding. <laughs> and then slightly after I, I have a, a friend who is like very similar build to me. And I was like, yo, you should take the record from me, man. And, and so now he, I think somebody probably took it from him ever since mm -hmm. then, but yeah. 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 So that's, curiosity, that's cool. curiosity mm -hmm. led me to everything. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I, I would even call it maybe a uh, persistent curiosity. I don't know if that's the right word, but um, I know in, in terms of uh, playing small in my life, I'll maybe try something or not even try it. And I'll engage in masturbatory hypothetical fantasy land. Of like, oh, it could be like this. And then I've played out enough fantasies in my head. And I'm like, okay. And it's like, no, the, this isn't hypothetical imagination, right? This is, hey, I'm going to 
try this and see where it will go. And it seems like you've done that across a variety of domains. The, the powerlifting thing I'm curious about, because I would guess, um, let's say for men who are more petite, um, I think there's often pressure to just be bigger, right? And so I would suspect a lot of smaller guys feel pressure to get into bodybuilding because their main goal is hypertrophy rather than strength. It's like, hey, I want to be big and get big. Because I mean, I suspect it was a shock for you. It was a shock for me of like, wait, you just show up, you just crack the barbell off the floor and you're like, champion. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, yeah. that's, that's wild. Um, I, I did, I did still take the training seriously and the prep seriously. And oh, I, sure I did. was yeah. able to put up some respectable verse. Cause I mean, yeah, it's going to be there for everybody to see. So <laughs> yeah. To be good. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's an important <laughs> clarification because you did it because you were curious, you weren't trying to exploit the system of like, mm, where could I move on the earth to where I guarantee that I break the record. Right. Cause there are, there are people <laughs> yeah. that do that. Um, there's a guy, I want to say a venture capitalist from Northern California who was, I want to say in his forties and wanted to go to the Olympics. And as far as I understand, he made out a plan and it was get citizenship in a South American country that does not have and compete in the winter Olympics on their team. <laughs> He's the guy, <laughs> right? <laughs> um, cool. Yeah, I'll try to dig up that story. And um, that's, that's different from, you know, literally putting in the reps, right? It's like, mm -hmm. yeah, this category was open, but you still trained and trained and trained. Um, and I think your, I want to say your Gmail photo is, is you lifting or a, I saw yeah, yeah. you doing that somewhere. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so Personal like, email. Yeah. clearly that's, you know, evidence that this is an important part of your life. Um, so I'm curious about this. And uh, that's odd wordplay. I'm curious about this curiosity. Um, but this is, uh, I mean, this is uncommon, man. Like uh, maybe you view it as unremarkable, but I meet a lot of people and I don't often meet people who are into this many different things who actively do them. Um, so I want to drill down more. Like you have this curiosity. Um, I would say, and no disintended here, but like accounting is not a creative field. Like most creative people I know and the creatives I knew in college were not accountants, right? So how do you have this blend? Was it you got into accounting for, for safety because it's a safe career or, um, you know, riddle me this, Batman, if, if that make, makes sense as a question. Yeah, yeah, sure. Let's talk about that. Um, so uh, a big part of it was safety. Uh, mm -hmm. I was the oldest child. Um, and my mom was a single mom raising three boys. Mm -hmm. So there was a lot of pressure on me to, um, and not so much succeed, but like, yeah, I, I was, I was going to say not so much succeed, but not fail, but no, no, I think the pressure was to, to succeed. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, I took an accounting class over the summer and it came to me very easily at the same time I was having a really bad time trying to do uh, general chemistry and calculus to get mm -hmm. into like science degrees. Um, and I also took an economics class, which talked about your competitive advantage, which mm -hmm. isn't your absolute advantage. But, you know, like if, if you're better at something than another thing, then it's better. It's often better to just the thing that you're better at. That was my takeaway from that. Mm -hmm. And I was like, okay, well, this accounting thing, it sounds like a lot of people don't want to do it. I'm pretty good at it. It offers pretty great flexibility. Mm -hmm. um, there's really hard driving 
jobs and there's also very chill jobs in accounting. So you can dial it up, dial it down. And uh, the work itself, I did enjoy work itself. Um, I like the details of it. Um, I like the focus and the flow that you can find as going into details. Um, and I also really liked creating the process of systems to make everything easy. So um, I remember during uh, interviews for accounting jobs, they would ask me like, hey, how did you get into this? And I would, I, I would open with a joke that like, oh, I got into accounting because I'm bad at math. And they'd be like, what? And I said, yeah, because, you know, the computer does all the math for you. And the more important part about accounting is the organization. And that's where I, I really shine. Um, I like to organize and I like to uh, present information. And, um, you know, I, at the time, a lot of my extracurriculars involved writing, um, like high school journalism, things like that. Yeah. Uh, so, so I told them that like, yeah, I, I like writing and I think a financial statement, it's like an essay of sorts. Okay. Wow. Yeah. Um, so you, there is room for creativity as far as like optimizing things, creating the processes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I can see that like, uh, creativity can emerge anywhere if you allow it. And, and that's the kicker, right? Because if you don't allow it, you won't find it, right? If, if you mm. know for sure that it won't be there, it will not be there. Um, well, do you have anything else you want to make sure gets attention right now? Um, well, I, I did mention a lot of new products that we come have coming up. Mm -hmm. And as part of getting these products ready, we a lot of testing with our community. So um, if you uh, put the testing links in your show notes, I really Absolutely. appreciate that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Especially if you have people who are knowledgeable about this barefoot stuff, um, having their feedback is very valuable. Yeah. And, and for listeners, again, um, I've been wearing barefoot shoes for eight years and I am a tester, right? I'm, I'm waiting on them to come in, but I have signed up. My mom signed up as well. Um, so I'm trying to get the wife into it. We'll see. But um, yeah, it's uh, the, the whole barefoot lifestyle, if you will. I don't know if I'd call it a barefoot lifestyle. Um, I think is maybe part of a larger trend of a lot of folks are reconnecting to nature. Um, mm. And I had a, I'll call it a transformative barefoot experience, frankly, related to the whole earthing movement, which was I used to work at a restaurant and this was after I'd worn barefoot shoes for some years, right? Um, but I worked at a restaurant, so you're talking, I would say roughly eight to 12 miles per shift of, of just walking, right? And in uncomfortable work shoes, um, if you've ever worked one of those service jobs where you have to wear a black shoe with a non-slip sole, um, like if someone could take the worst design for shoes and force you to wear them, uh, that's what you'd come up with, right? And uh, my feet would hurt after work. That was common. Even starting, people were like, hey, your feet are just going to hurt. Be ready. And after work one day, I had a meeting and we had an outdoor part of the gathering where we circle up barefoot. And that was probably 45 minutes. And my foot pain just went away completely. And I was like, what? What the hell is this? This earthing stuff must work. And... For you to earth properly, you either need a conductive shoe or you can just go barefoot right on the earth, right? And um, that made, you know, that made a difference. That made an impact for sure. 
or um, I, I guess that's my story, right? I suspect you've had many from customers, right? What are some of the more memorable ones or do you have a particularly memorable story? Because I think people just don't understand how much of a difference this can make in their lives. Hmm. Um, yeah. So it, it, it'd be a lot of those kind of things where things hurt back, knee, ankles, neck even. And as soon as they switch over to barefoot shoes, pains go away. And this isn't saying that if you have a pain and you switch to barefoot shoes, it'll go away. Not that at all, but it, it definitely happens. And uh, I think one of the more memorable ones was this one guy who bought a New Balance Minimus just because he thought they looked cool. And he had no idea about barefoot shoes. Okay. He, he saw people wearing them around town. And he's like, oh, those, those are cool. Uh, and then... He started wearing them and experiencing benefits and having no idea it was because of the shoes until like a year later when he started learning about it. And he's like, oh, that's why I feel best in those shoes. What the heck? <laughs> wow. Okay. Wow. So yeah. that was like truly like a, like, a, like a double blind study right there, you know? Oh, yes. Yeah, the perfect double blind. And it makes perfect sense. It's like, look, uh, the shoes can solve a bunch of problems because some of your problems could be coming from your footwear, but you can have problems from other things too, right? So mm -hmm. if you, you know, if you wear barefoot shoes, you can still have health problems, maybe not from the shoes, right? And um, yeah, I, I mean, if, if you're a person out there somewhere in the world or on the internet, um, get you some barefoot shoes, man. Um, <laughs> you know, uh, I, I, I just say, try it, right? Try it out. Mm -hmm. And, um, now thanks to yourself and some others, um, we have some non-fugly varieties, right? Um, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. so yeah, and I, I think there is something to be said about, uh, about making things more palatable. Um, like, like, you know, making barefoot shoes that look better, mm -hmm. uh, or what was the example that you were just giving? Um, or, or, or like, 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 like healthy food. It doesn't mm -hmm. have to taste bad, you know? Yeah. And um, when you we were talking about like all the curiosity, a lot of them I stuck with just because it felt good. Felt good. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, lifting weights feels really good. Um, like the, like there's the, the certain lifts, uh, let's say like overhead press, you know? Mm -hmm. You feel like the Incredible Hulk at the end. Oh, yeah. Yep. Yeah. Um, running... Especially like trail running when you're like hugging the curve. I feel like you're Sonic the Hedgehog. Um, and, and just, just being barefoot in general, is just, it's, it feels good. Uh, the, the nerve endings mm -hmm. of your feet, they just pick up so much data and so many interesting textures and so much of the world to, uh, to, to feel. Uh -ho. Um, well, it has been a pleasure and I really appreciate having you on. As always, you're welcome to come on um, at a later date. And uh, where should folks go, especially the, the audio folks? I'll put links in the show notes. But if you're just listening, if there's a place you want to point folks, where should they go? They want to find more of your work. Or if you just want to point them to something like a charity, right? You can use my microphone right now. Yeah. So uh, I would say go to carrots.com. And the way that you spell that is C-A-R-E-T-S.com. And uh, let me explain what, what carrots means. Yeah. Sure. So a carrot is shift six on your keyboard, and it's like the, the little hat exponent 
symbol. And the reason why I chose this name is, oh, so the name carrots, the reason why we decided on this is just that there's so many levels to it. So a carrot is shift six on your keyboard. It's the little hat sign and it's like an exponent sign. And I, I really love this because this product is about enhancing you. It's like to the power of you, you know, mm. um, it helps you with your career goals and also with your health and fitness goals. And another reason why I really love this is because that symbol is also used in uh, logic and computing to, to represent like an overlap and where that overlap between health and luxury. And expanding off of that overlap, a carrot is also a homonym for um, a, a healthy vegetable, you know, that's uh, whether you're vegan or paleo or whatever, like everybody loves carrots. And it's also a homonym for both the quality of diamond, no, the quality of gold and the weight of diamond. So there's health and luxury coming together and that's carrots. And I, I really love the spelling of it too, because it's care, C-A-R-E, care with a T at the end. That very beautiful. And so, um, yeah, stop by our website, carrots.com. From there, you can find all of our socials and you can uh, sign up for our newsletter so you know when the women's stuff are coming out, when our sneakers and sandals and safety toe boots are coming out. And um, yeah, we'd love to have you along for the Barefoot Journey. Awesome. Thank you. Are you tired of reacting to imaginary bullets? Join us for an interactive workshop developing skills to begin your journey to freedom. Own your triggers. Claim your shift. Free yourself from reactivity and transform trigger bullets into bouquets. This Compassionate Connecting workshop can be found online at compassionateconnecting.com slash hashtag workshops. Since that might sound a little confusing, I'll repeat it. Compassionateconnecting.com slash hashtag workshops. Check the episode description as well for a link. Again, free yourself from reactivity. Check it out. I hope you all enjoyed that. One quick thing in closing. Stegdrew.com slash juicy. Stegdrew, just like the show, dot com slash juicy. You can sign up for my weekly musings there on all things like we spoke about in this episode and other assorted weirdness. Just drop in your email. Stegdrew.com slash juicy. Thank you.